Living with regret can be exhausting, frustrating, disheartening, and dangerous. But it can also be motivating and empowering if you choose to look at it that way. How we learn to live with regret is a choice that we get to make. We can let it fuel our growth and our purpose, or we can let it hold us down forever. Which will you choose? Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Julie and Steve. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full there's no space left for alcohol. Be sure to check out our social media content. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Wherever you hang out, we'll share all kinds of extra stuff to keep you inspired and motivated in your recovery. I'm being a pain in the butt. Yes, you are. Okay. I don't. <laughs> all right. Hello and welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast. It's so nice to see you guys. I get to hang out with the boys today, which I think is super cool. I don't get to do that very often. Usually, if anybody's going to be outnumbered, it's Steve with a whole bunch oh, of ladies. It oh, pretty right. much is. So, are you back? No. Yeah. So, I'm kicking it with the boys. But um, we're going to go ahead and do our introductions first, and then we will dive into this uh, this topic. It should be a good one. And yeah, let's go ahead and start with Scott. Hello, I'm Scott. Uh, I have surpassed the one year of sobriety, heading into year two. Got a good uh, start on that. I do have the Sober Heathen podcast. That was something that it was a goal of mine to do for that first year of sobriety. Kind of been a little bit on hiatus, but there are some good shows there, some good guests. I currently work for a recovery, um, an outpatient recovery place. I won't say the name, but uh, I'm a recovery coach there. Um, and to be able to work with people every single day and talk recovery and share a little bit of, you know, as a AA slogan, experience, strength, and hope with these people that it can turn around in a hurry. You know, sometimes a year feels like forever, um, but it can come quicker than you think. So, um, really, really glad to be back on the podcast. I think I covered everything. Yeah. Really glad to have you. Thanks yeah. for coming back. And it, you've done a lot since we had you on last. So it's really cool. And congratulations just for everything you've accomplished yep. just in the last year. It's amazing. And next, we're going to go with Martin. Good evening, everyone. Or good morning if you're listening to this on your way to work, for that matter. My name is Martin Lockett. I am the Director of Cultural Engagement at Lives for Life, which is an organization based out of Portland, Oregon, that is dedicated to reducing struggles in mental health, as well as getting people connected with resources around uh, recovery and substance use. And I have 19 years, about 10 and a half months clean time, and grateful for every single day of that, obviously. I am also a public speaker. I speak at DUI victim impact panels, alcohol highway safety classes, high schools, colleges, and conferences around all things DUI, if you will. And I am super excited to be here and get into this very important topic. We're su awesome. super excited to have you here. Yeah. It's really nice to see your face again. Mm -hmm. 
And so last but not least, we're going to go with Chris, who is the only newbie on this episode. So how are you, Chris? Hi, Jolie. Steve, nice to meet you. Scott and Martin. My name's Chris Rogers. I keep a little journal uh, in the Facebook domain that I started just to kind of write how I feel through my first course, uh, the, the course of my first year of recovery here. Today, I am 15 months. This is the 12th of November. Yeah, 15 months, clean and sober today. Right on. That's cool, because Julie today is two years and two months. Same, yeah, 12th. On the 12th, 26 yeah. months. Wait. Yeah. So, so, so I, we... do, I do like uh, to be able to bring some of the fresh things that go through the, going through the course of that first year. Scott, I think you said, just just over a year mark man that is some of the most difficult months of your life you'd be surprised so i'm happy we're here to talk about things and and going to deal with some of the regrets absolutely yeah right really really happy to have you and just to make sure our listeners know we are going to have all kinds of links and information about these guys in our show notes and so be sure to sure to check those out and um and you can follow them and get to know them as well and all their inspiring stories and and content. So hands down, the most common search term people use to find our website is dealing with regret. We recorded an episode on this topic last season, but it's such a valid one that we wanted to bring more voices to the subject. So let's talk about it. What regrets have you faced in your life, especially ones that involve drinking? And how have you found healthy ways to move through the regret so that it doesn't drag you down and get in the way of your recovery. This is a super important topic and definitely one of the most listened to and most looked for that we have in our list of 60 some odd episodes. So yeah, I would love to hear what you guys think. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. That's all right. I, I, you know, um, I was thinking a lot about this and, um, uh, so regret is going to happen no matter what you, where you are in life. But if, if you're struggling with substances, regret can be the easy way to go back to them or, or rely on them. You know, I, I really had to dive into this. I was in treatment four times, three times last year alone. What we learned was with regrets, if the regrets turn into guilt, that's I did bad. If they turn into shame, that is I am bad. And what I really did was I turned all my regrets into I am bad, not I did bad or I made a bad choice, right? So diving into these regrets and really uh, facing them head on, I think is very important. At least it was for me. Going all the way back to high school, you know, social anxiety was a big thing for me. You know, I was a baseball player. I was recruited by the White Sox and the Pirates. I got a full ride to college. My first day of college, I went in, I saw all these people I didn't know, and I went home. And so I held on to that regret forever. Like, I'm an idiot. You know, that shame took over. I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. I had all this opportunity and it, it just kind of carried on through my life. And those are things that turn into shame. Um, now, where I'm at now, even though I'm only you know, 13, 14 months or whatever in, now I can look at these things and I can, what's the word they used in treatment? Or you can really investigate these, these thoughts and these feelings. You know, I made bad choices. I'm not a bad person. Right. And when you can distinguish between that, you know, the regret, you can alleviate some of the regrets. I, I don't know if you can all eliminate all of them or not, but being able to eliminate a lot of this baggage, these regrets that I was carrying, and just to be able to say, okay, I did that. That was bad. 
but I'm not bad. And then uh, just being able to do that and analyze it has really allowed me to let go of some of these regrets that I've had. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that, Scott. So for me, there's, there's, I mean, anybody who has heard of my story or, or know anything about me would know that there is one overarching regret that has really shaped my life and what I do today and why I got into the mental health substance use treatment field. And so it, it began with me making it okay for a long time as a young man to drink and drive every day. And that eventually culminated with a, a crash on New Year's Eve of 2003 that claimed two lives and severely injured a third person. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't share this that often, but I'll say it here is that I remember I was taken down, down, downtown to the drug tank and I'm booked in, you know, two counts of manslaughter and, and um, assault in, uh, in the third degree because of the guy who got injured. And I'm in this drunk tank by myself. And I knew I was going to prison for many, many, many years, but it was like more important to me in that moment was the fact that like, I don't have to ever drink again. Like I almost felt rescued from the bondage of alcoholism because this had happened. And obviously as regretful as I was and still am today, and I don't, I'm glad you, you classified between kind of regret and shame, Scott, because for three or four years while I was incarcerated, I did, did live with a lot of shame around when it happened, but I don't today. And, you know, I'll say that what has, what has allowed me to kind of turn this tragedy into living a, a life of purpose and peace and fulfillment is, you know, I poured all of my energy into learning everything I could about my addiction so that I could, I could then help others who are struggling through theirs. Right. And so during that 17 and a half years that I was incarcerated, you know, I, I, I learned everything from an educational standpoint, from a clinical standpoint start to peel back the layers of my own addiction and the origins of where it all started for me. And then I started to mentor young guys coming into the system, preventing them from going into prison gangs and becoming a part of prison culture and all of that. And I eventually, you know, went through a very intensive treatment program within the prison where I could understand the difference between sobriety and recovery, right? And um, it really get into the weeds of, of what life would need to look like for me if I was going to sustain this recovery, right? And not just abstain from alcohol. And I graduated that program and I, I worked as an intern to get clinical hours toward a certification as a counselor. And I got a master's degree while I was inside. And so that's why today haven't been out for a little over two years. You know, I speak around the country to first time DUI offenders. You know, I speak at high schools, I speak at colleges, I speak at conferences to law enforcement officers, DUI officers, drug recognition experts, and people who are dedicated to helping people in this field. And so I say, you know, to turn this pain into a purpose is what has allowed me to, you know, make amends, right, for what I for what I've done. And that has alleviated that 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 shame and, and that regret largely. So I'm going to, when we schedule these podcast episodes, we don't pick 
who's on them. This is completely random. We hand all of our guests a schedule and we ask them to choose what works for them. So when I saw that Martin was on the regret episode, and you know I know your story and I've read your book. So when I first heard your story, that very first meeting that I went to, I don't like speaker meetings. I don't have any desire to go listen to somebody else's drunk log, right? That's just not my thing. But I went because a friend of mine put that together. Mm-hmm. And your story changed so much for me that night. I was maybe a year sober, maybe just a little less, and still dealing with so much regret. I think I had worked through the shame, like we're distinguishing here. And I think it's so important to distinguish that. I had worked through a lot of the shame But I was still drowning in regret for the things that I had done, the relationships I destroyed, the choices that I had made, and I was not sure how to get out of underneath that. And I listened to your story, Martin, and then went and got your book. And I read that. And that was so inspiring to me that you were able to take something so hard to move through and turn it into purpose. And that's when I like, like, that was the very beginning of this podcast starting. and, And it just did so much to drive taking all of my experiences, taking everything that I've done, all of these things that I regret and understanding that those are shaping me now and are giving me the potential to actually make so much positive change in this world. And so thank you, Martin, for sharing your story the way that you do, because it has had a a massive impact on my life. And I know I've told you that before, and I'll tell you that every time I see you probably. But I think that for me, finally, finding a way to move through the regret was recognizing that at this point in my life, I am happier than I've ever been. I'm doing more things that are valuable than I've ever done. I'm affecting lives in a positive way. And none of that would be true if I hadn't been through every single thing that I've been through in my life in order to get me to this point. And there are times where I really have to just remind myself of that because it's still hard. It's still easy to get wrapped up in, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. Right. And so it's just this constant reminder that I had to go through everything I went through in order to be the person that I am today. And I'm I really love the person that I am today. And so I think that 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 allows me to at least make peace with my past and my regrets. Hey, my turn. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Mind you, first time I ever collected here like this, just taking turns. Um, I thought all week long about this, and I think I'm going to settle at my 15 months that this might be my point uh, in time to be deciding the difference between what is what has been shameful. And I think I'm over that, and I'm starting to recognize what it is that I regret. And those things are going to take time. Of course, just coming out of a year, I got I got some things in front of me. I mean, I buried my last six years. I'm, I'm not even familiar with half of the year of, of 2022. So there's going to be some things that I might, I might not even be aware of yet that I'm going to come across. And in the meantime, though, I have aspirations of working at uh, some, something like Martin's got going on. That's fantastic. Uh, I know the shelter I've been fond of in my town, uh, a couple of churches. Um, I, I'd like to get into really doing some progressive hands-on work. And I think going through that, I'm going to come across the things that someone else is going through right now that remind me of something that I regret that I might still need to make amends for. And I'm 
I think it's safe to say that I'm just in that stage of my recovery and I'm, I'm going to do my best, best to listen to what anyone's got to say. And, um, um, maybe I've got something at 15 months that somebody of 14 months, uh, might be able to relate to. So I'm looking forward to the rest of this conversation. It's, uh, you brought up a point it was just somebody will share something and then it'll dig up something in my past that, that either a familiar emotion based around the same, same sort of situation or something along those lines where I'll get caught up in my own stuff. Sometimes I end up getting caught up in my own stuff and I stop even listening to what everybody else is saying. Cause I'm trying to figure out what's going on with me. That being said, I could talk about the really big regrets, like essentially not being present for, you know, a decade. I figured I've, I've lost a good decade of my life just, just through drinking. I, a lot of the memories of my past are just gone. I don't very much remember my thirties. I feel like I lost 10 years of my life. Like that's, that feels shitty every time I say it. It still yeah. feels horrible. That's 10 years. 10 years is a long freaking time. And I've only been sober for two years and seven months. And I'm forever grateful for that. But I mean, I had two little girls. I drank and drove with them. I dropped one of my kids on, on her head at daycare from my shoulders. I can still, I still like those, I did bad, right? Like I, I do. Those are some of the things that still, if I bring them up, they still hurt. They still stay. They still have teeth. And I think it's okay that they do have teeth. I know it's part of my past and I know it's part of my story. It's part of also the, what the same thing you guys talk about is, is it's part of the, that fuel. It's, it's part of the reason why I don't want to go back to where I was before now. Because I don't want to repeat that. I don't want to do the same thing over again. I don't want to be drunk on the side of a road with two kids in the back of my truck. I don't want to miss, I feel like I missed the first essentially five years of my children's lives, even though I was there, I wasn't a good father. I tried. I'm sure I tried, but it really sucks to say that a good chunk of their, their, of them being babies I have memories and pictures and I've got pictures of me. When I look at me there, I am visibly not there. I'm just a shadow of myself. I'm going to share a couple of thoughts really quick with you because yeah. I deal with those things a lot too. The first is with the, the missing the memories of our kids, right? So my kids are older than Steve's are. And I can absolutely say I drank away a decade of their childhoods. My kids are 16 and 20 now, and I've been sober for two years, so you can do the math. But I didn't really drink happily when my kids were little. I, that didn't start until they were a little bit older. And there are still memories, even when I was a really good and sober mom, that I don't remember. There are pictures showing that I was there, but... Our memories just get hazy when it's been however many years. We just forget little things. And and to recognize that, I think, is important. There are probably memories that you wouldn't remember anyway. anyway. 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You you would rank the whole beginning of your kid's childhood. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of all you have to compare to. But I just want to make the point that I feel like I don't remember any of my kids' first five or eight years of their lives. And I was pretty sober through most of those. So, And the other thing that you said that I've actually come to terms with pretty well over maybe the last six months is talking about drinking away a huge chunk of your life, mm-hmm. right? For me, it was really similar. I drank away my 30s um, and I don't really remember a lot of them. And I feel like I didn't do anything useful or valuable in that time, right? Mm-hmm. I look around at the people in my life that are that don't struggle with addiction and they are just floating through their lives, meaningless and purposeless and without connection and without drive or passion or gratitude. They're just going through their lives. They're living their lives essentially in black and white. And they can watch this, right? I've seen my parents and they they just they've just floated through life without any real intent. Getting sober has forced me to live my life with intention. Every single day I wake up and I live a life of intention with passion and gratitude. Like my life is in color now. And if I had not drank away that 10 years of my life, then I wouldn't have life in color right now. I would just go through my whole life in black and white. And so in some way for me, it's like it's worth those 10 years to be able to live the life that I live now because it feels so much fuller of of passion and and purpose and meaning than I think it ever would have before if addiction didn't exist in my life. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It's going back to that, like I had to go through all of that to get to where I am today. Right. Right. It doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it right either. But that was the experience that I had to go through to learn the lessons that I need to learn, needed, needed to learn. It's the power of regret, right? Well, and at some point you just have to make peace with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and I would definitely highlight the fact that, so the point that you, both of you made saying that you had to go through, you know, the mud or, or, you know, just the chaos and, and, and all this, you know, these terrible circumstances to get to where you are today, but there's, there's, there's also a choice, right? Because when we are confronted with these very adverse circumstances that are mired in addiction and, you know, uh, uh, criminality or, or infidelity, or just, just making a mess of our lives, we get to decide, right? We get to decide if we're going to kind of stay mired and stuck in that mm-hmm. and kind of have this woe is me and, you know, uh, everybody should feel pity for me. Look how terrible my life is. I can stay stuck, right? Or I can get to a point where I say, you know what? Yes, I went through that, but but what was I to glean from that? Why did I go through those circumstances? Because honestly, I don't feel that we just kind of, you know, go through these terrible life situations just because, right? If, you, you know, you have a higher power, you think your, your higher power is punishing you for something you did when you were, you know, 10 years old. I don't. I don't think that is the case. I think, I think we go through kind of what we need to go through to learn very, very personal, critical lessons to get us kind of to where we're ultimately supposed to end up. But we get to decide if we want to listen, take heed, reflect, introspect. Like we get to decide if we're going to take that course or not. So I agree with you guys, but but there is a lot of a lot of um, choice in that scenario as well. 
Yeah, I like uh, I like a lot of the words, man. This is awesome. Uh, you know, uh, I wasn't laughing at Steve when he said, uh, you know, things have teeth. It just instant mental image of sticking my hand into like this uh, proverbial thought tank. And those shitty thoughts are piranhas biting the crap out of my hand when I'm diving in there to try to remember something that is going to drag me back, back down. I, you know, it, it just popped in my head and I, I thought that was great. And, you know, Martin had said fulfillment. Yeah, you know, I got four OWIs. I won't have a license for an eternity. Uh, my credit sucks. You know, I'm tens of thousands of dollars in debt, but I've never felt better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's perspective a little bit. It's, you know, it, we can dwell on anything. So I'll give you an example. Something I, I was uh, I was dwelling on. I did some research on what the average human sleeps in their lifetime, and it's something like twenty six years that each human sleeps there in their life, right? So then I started looking back, and I was like, "Holy crap!" You know, I was sleeping for that, and then passed out for how long? Right. You know what I mean? So twenty six years—that's more than half of my life that I've spent either intoxicated or sleeping, and that's you know that was so sad. But now that I yeah, I flip it on his head. It's like, now it's time to live, dude. I, you know, I, I don't, how oh, it's a shitty day. I'm going to go home and take a nap. Now ah, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to a friend. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to get smarter today. I'm going to call my kids. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm using it as a motivating factor now, as opposed to just beating the hell out of myself with that regret, you know? And, and you talked about your kids, man, my kids are 10, though. they're going to be 11 next month. And we had twins and one had to go to a different hospital when he was born. He's having trouble breathing and he was on an incubator and I was terrified and I went and I stayed there and the nurses had to make me go sleep in this little room that they had. The second night they told me that I need to go home and sleep. And what did I do? I went home and I drank and I can sit there and I can regret that. And I can be like, God, that was a really shitty thing to do. What if something would have happened? They would have called. I would have never, it's done. He's fine. He's fine. He's a great little boy. Both of our great little boys. And I still have an opportunity to learn from that. And I can, you know, I can be somebody that lives a fulfilling life that they can look up to. So we can twist the the crap into motivation or we can, but I, I really think like Martin Slora, I'd love to hear more about that. But I mean, you know, I don't know I could if I could live this kind of fulfilling life. I'd mentioned the baseball thing. I don't know if my life would be this fulfilling if I would have pursued that. And I, I can't really sit here and dwell on it. But my point is because of these things that I went through and, and the people I've met, I, you know, I've talked to people from all over the freaking world. I would have never necessarily done that if my life was different. Mm -hmm. um, so it, I'm not going to call alcohol a blessing or alcoholism a blessing necessarily, but it was definitely a, 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 an experience that has changed me for the good. Yeah, yeah Scott, Scott, you said the word motivation now. When's the last, last time in active addiction we were able to use the word motivation for anything? Anything you weren't motivated, you the only thing you were motivated for was getting to the liquor store, going to get high somehow. And now we got a new way to be motivated, and it's all new to us. But turning the negative into a positive, I have probably what I'll decide to be my biggest regret is a decade missing with my 30 year old son that we're not having a good time coming to terms with, but. I've spoke to my son more times this year, good and bad. We've cussed each other out, a lot of F-bombs. But I've talked to him more this year than I have in the past 10 years. Now, that's that's turning a negative into a positive. So I guess that might be an example for me of a positive fashion uh, and a way of turning 
something very regretful and it's something that's taking a lot of time to work it out. 10 years ain't going to be made up this year. And I look at him as he's a grown man now, but you know, he was 20 and he pretty much had it with me. So his adult life, uh, he hasn't had nothing to do with me, but now he's a little interested if it sticks, you know, that's up to me for him to decide whether he wants something to do with me, whether I'm worth having something to do with. And that gives me motivation to turn this very regretful part of my life into something that's going to be positive. And we do have those choices. We make those choices every day, every single day. How do I want to live? Do I want to live disappeared? Do I want to be absent or do I want to be present? And we make those choices. And I, I hope to God that as time goes by, I'm allowed enough time to start curbing some of these regrets because we all got them. I, I just talked about my son for one example. And I, I give you 12 if you got 12 more hours to talk about it. But <laughs> thanks. I'm, I'm starting to feel a little bit more comfortable talking about this. And I don't think I have talked about this this year. So uh, I'll leave with that right there. Thanks. That's so I, I have, a, I guess, a little bit of a similar situation, Chris. I have a 20 year old who wants nothing to do with me. And um, it's absolutely heartbreaking, right? It's the worst feeling in the entire world for this kid that you've loved and you've raised and you're poor, you've poured your heart and your soul into to not want anything to do with you because of the choices that you've made. It's the most horrible feeling. And so I, I have so much empathy for where you're at. And I'm also overjoyed to hear that that is even starting to turn into something that might grow into something better. I've talked to a lot of other, mostly I'm going to say women, because that's who I usually talk to about the same thing. Other women who have experienced the same thing I am. And at the end of the day, what it comes down to is I can't force my kid to show back up in my life and give me a chance. I don't have any control over that. And I know that if I were to try to push that, it would just push her further and further away. What I can do is make sure that every single day I'm becoming more the kind of mom that she's going to need if she decides to let me back in. And that's a decision that I can make every single day. And that's, you know, we go back, going back to living with intention. I can wake up every morning with the intention of becoming more of the woman, more of the mother that my child needs for me to be if I am blessed enough for her to give me the opportunity to be that person in her life. And sometimes that has to be enough. Like it has to be enough. I can't do anything more than that. But at least I know that I'm doing the most that I can. And I guess that kind of tempers that pain and that sadness and that regret a little bit instead of just sitting there ignoring it. And, and like Martin said, like, you know, having a pity party about it. At least I'm taking action. Like a lot of us have a lot of regrets revolving around our children. Regret really is just not accepting the past for what it is. Yeah. It's, it's literally just not accepting that and having a hard time coming to terms with it well and 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 it's also it's also saying that to to kind of follow that kind of line of thinking it's like you know i, I read a lot of books and so and i've written a couple and so you know you get to define if that is going to be the final chapter right with that terrible terrible thing that happened or that terrible phase that you went through if that's going to be how the story ends 
or is that merely going to be a chapter and you get to decide if you're going to write a whole, you know, second half to that book, right? Add another six chapters to that narrative. You get to decide that, you know, you get to decide that. And so, and quickly, I, I really like, again, you know, everybody's just so full of, I'm learning so much to, and just being inspired, frankly, by the conversation and people's perspectives. But Julie, I think it's, it's important that, um, you know, with what you said, how you said that you make sure you intentionally are, you know, becoming and evolving and and giving yourself to this new person, this person that you are today, so that you can be ready should your daughter invite you back into her life, you'll be the person she needs. So you're doing this not because of some external reward that you're reaping today, right? Because you don't have her today. So that's not the motivation. This is intrinsic, right? This is something that, 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 that fills you up and motivates you. And I think that's the way we kind of all can do ourselves a service in, in getting through our regret is to find the purpose in all of, you know, just the, the misery and the muck and the, and the, you know, the tragedy or, or whatever it is you're going through is to find something that is, that is intrinsically purposeful and meaningful for you and let that drive you, like let that drive your day-to-day steps and get you through the day and get you through the week. And like, regardless of what external rewards or, you know, uh, uh, benefits that may come. And certainly we, we've all, you know, realized those as well, but that can't be the driving force. It has to be something that means something in you. Question. We're filled with a lot of positivity and hope right now. Like there's a lot of good. Have you ever been stuck in the spot where that regret was the baseball bat? For sure. I remember the first time I talked about what I'll just refer to as my rock bottom. I wrecked my car. It was a horrible, horrible night. It's part of why my kid won't speak to me. And all I could do for the first couple of months that I was sober was beat myself up for that and that regret and that just the shame, right? I Maybe that's the difference is that when you're beating yourself up, that's more shame. And... I remember somebody telling me, I finally talked about it a little bit, which was the hardest thing to do, to talk about the thing that I was most ashamed of. And I remember somebody coming back and just saying, if you keep talking about it, you're going to get past this. It just needs time and it just needs, you know, air and it needs light. And I remember him saying that and me thinking, there is no way I will ever get past this. I will like, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to live with the person that I am today. Um, And he was absolutely right. It takes time and it takes a willingness to talk about it and own it and face it. And I think that's when the shame lifts is when you own it and you face it and you shine a light on it. And then it can become maybe the regret and that can become the fuel. Does that make sense? Yeah. One of my early sayings was put some air under it. Give it away. If you put air under it and you give it away, it takes so much of its power away from it over me. It turns it from the baseball bat to an actual fuel that I can use to do something about it as opposed to just sitting in my own puddle. Yeah, you're kind of you're smacking back a little bit. You're taking control of that bat, you know. Um, <clears throat> having a podcast, having a journal online, writing a book. I mean, doing the podcast that I've done for myself, you know, I didn't intend it to do anything other than just to put it out there and maybe have a couple people listen to it. But 
putting it out into reality. And then sometimes hearing the words come out of my mouth and then back into my ears and, you know, coming outside in as opposed to inside out really made a freaking difference. I made a huge difference for me. You know, talking about the kids, you know, I spoke to my kids through a voicemail for two years. They wouldn't answer the phone. So I'd call their mom and I'd leave a voicemail. And I did that kind of like Julie was talking about because my mom and dad never did that. They never called me. But even though my kids didn't want to talk to me, I called her phone and spoke to that voicemail and said, it's dad. I love you. You know, I hope everything's going good. And I did I did that. And then that rock bottom hit when I got, I, all of a sudden I'm out of treatment. I ended up homeless. You know, all the excuses an alcoholic could use. Got my fourth OWI. I was working at a treatment center at the time and it all just come crumbling down and it reset everything because right before that, my kids were talking to me. They were proud that dad was still in treatment. They were proud that I was all gone again. And I, what happened was I just decided that that wasn't going to be it. I made that mistake and I just kept building. And now I, I, they've been over for a full day twice in the last couple of months for the first time in two years. I'm not saying it's going to change for everybody necessarily, but because like Julie said, you keep building to be the person they want to be. Keep making those phone calls, keep writing those letters, keep journaling, keep getting it out. And it can change. And just to have that can, that hope that that it could change, that's, that's enough for me to keep going. We have a friend who actually, Julie was talking about this very thing about her daughter. And we have a friend he, and he said, it took me 10 years. And then his daughter finally picked up the phone and he ha ended up having a conversation with her and that relationship has changed ever since. But he put the work in for 10 years in and held on the hope that eventually she would come around and that because he's, he finally made the change that it would prove to be good and positive when she showed back up again and it worked. He just had to be that patient. Now, 10 years sounds like a hell of a long time to have to wait to build the relationship up. But I mean, there's a lot of pain. There's who knows what still sits there and resides in there that keeps that door closed. But when it comes down to it, if we continue to work on ourselves, all we do is give ourselves a chance to rebuild that relationship if that door ever seemed, ever happens to open back up again. And that's the one thing we don't have any control over. And so I'm going to wrap this up, guys. We had an awesome conversation here, Scott. You right away, I thought you did great talking about the difference between regret and shame and classifying those two, you know, regret being I did bad and shame being I am bad. Martin, you really talked about you get to choose to stay in it, we talked about it being the baseball bat or being a victim to our own regret and being stuck in that mud, either the rock bottom or just really depressed sometimes because it's, it takes effort to work through it, to find, to get to the other side of I'm okay now with what I did in my past. It doesn't define who I am today. It's not, it's not a defining factor. It's a choice, really is a choice. And Chris, you talked about the decade time. I think time in general, we all lose time when we're in act active addiction and it's time with ourselves and it's time with family, it's time with children, it's time with whatever. And I think there's a lot of regret that sits in that time. And 
I want to say that we've all used the regret as fuel to inspire change in ourselves, inspire growth in ourselves, and taken those lessons and and tried to do something good with them, doing it the right way, giving back, all of the stuff. I heard so much hope from all three of you, all four of you, Julie yourself too, but I heard so much hope from you guys in sharing how you've used regret to change your life and the lives of others unintentionally or intentionally. It doesn't matter, but it's amazing. Really guys, thank you so much for sharing your hope and your stories and your experiences with us here today. Scott, Martin, and Chris really appreciate you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Julie. Thank you all. And to our listeners, thanks so much for sharing space with us today. We would love to get to know you better. Come join our Facebook group by searching for Through the Glass Recovery. And let's do this recovery thing together.